This is The Coolest Show brought to you by Hip Hop Caucuses. Think 100%. It's the coolest show you know. Keep the culture connected. It's the coolest show you know. In your ear, yeah, respect the expert level information, entertainment, education. Rev here, we got you covered as you hit your destination. Climate rules everything around me. Cream. For those who lost focus, close your eyes and just dream. Open your third eye, now the world is your off. Coolest, coolest show you know. It's the Hip Hop Caucus. Everybody, this is Rev Year. We're here on The Coolest Show. And we are continuing our arc in our conversation regarding care and repair. I've been having some phenomenal conversations. This one today is going to be right up there with it. I am so fortunate to be with two of my friends in the movement. And oh, I'll let them say. First, I'll start off with Ife Kilimanjaro. Hey, Ife, how are you doing? Hi, I'm doing well. How are you? It's good to see you. I'm doing good. And Anasa Troutman, how are you? I'm fantastic. I'm happy to be here with both of you. It, well, I got to start there, folks, because when we came on, uh, Ife and Anasa, <laughs> boy, they, they just ignored old Rev here. They were just like, you know, they came on, oh, my goodness, good morning. It's so good to see you. Oh, wonderful. And that was just sitting there. Oh, yeah, you too, Rev. So I'm so glad. I'm so glad that this, if nothing else, if nothing that else, only means that you have excellent curation. That's what that's, that means. You did a great job curating right. the conversation. That's, that's right. That's right. Yes, it's a compliment to you it, and, and, your, and, and and the producers. Shout out to Tamara and your team. Ross. Absolutely. That's yes, right. indeed. Well, let's let's get it. First of all, Ife, who is Ife Kilimanjaro, and who is your community? Mm, that's a great question. Um, I'd say a lot of things and quite simply, uh, returned ancestor, a, you know, someone who, a, a, a person who has assumed human form in this lifetime, but who's connected for many, who who's connected to many generations that have come before me of people trying to, um, uh, find their way in this world to survive, to thrive, to um, create change in the ways that they could within their um, power, within power that they perceived and, and, um, and in their courage. Uh, I'm, um, have a daughter, I have daughters and I have a grandchild and I have many children. Uh, so I'm also uh, standing, I'm, I'm one who, um, is part of a cycle of life and living connected with trees and nature in ways that, um, you know, I see myself as part of these communities that I'm in and around. And that may sound a little, you know, strange and, and tree hugging, but, um, but I've always, my orientation to the world at a very young age had me recognizing interconnection and connection with living beings around me. And so I see those beings as my family, um, as my community. My family is my community, my ancestors and, and descendants, um, folks who are uh, principled and who uh, seek in their own ways to um, fight against and dismantle injustices at whatever levels they're, they're moving on. I see those folks as part of uh, my concentric circles of communities. And, um, 
Yeah. So I, I feel like I am nourished and nurtured by many folks. Many black women have poured into me over the years. Mm. And I'm, my hope is that I continue to, you know, kind of share that love and that, that connection and, and those networks uh, and relationships with others. So I'll pause there because I can feel like, I feel like I can, you know, we're so much, you know, beyond these bodies that we're in, but we're also just quite simply, I'm just me. <laughs> yeah, but back to Kilimanjaro, I have to ask you this. I think you just brought me a new term. What is a returned ancestor? Well, in, in my tradition, like I, I've been here before. Mm. So I feel like when I came into this life, I, one, there's a question that we'll be talking about a little bit later on. Um, I feel like I've, I've uh, been here and I had a charge coming into this world that I'm, right. I'm kind of, yeah, realizing and uh, will be in a returned ancestor at some point in the next decades. Um, prayerfully, I'll be around as long as I can, but I feel like as part of this life, this cycle, we have an opportunity or I have, I have had an opportunity to um, work some things out across generations. I, I absolutely love that. And the reason I, I, I wanted to ask you that follow-up question was because I think I've been just kind of meditating on what it means to be a good ancestor um, and just been thinking about that. Um, my, my other dear sister here, uh, who is Anasa Troutman and who was your community? Hmm. I feel like what I was going to say before Ife spoke and now what I have to say now is totally, completely different. So thank you, Ife, for grounding us in such a beautiful way. Um, I mean, honestly, I'm a seeker and somebody who has really spent as long as I can remember working to understand love and how to share it and spread it and help other people understand it. And Mostly that happens through storytelling and culture and thinking about core values and beloved community. And I, I, they're, they're like smaller communities I identify with. Um, I am really, 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 really lucky right now that I, for the first time really in my adult life and maybe my whole life, um, have an actual physical community. So I've spent a lot of time all over the country, but I've been living in Memphis for almost six years now, and it very much feels like um, my community, the people of this place, particularly the Black folks in Memphis feel like my community, particularly the Black creatives in Memphis feel like my community, and it's wonderful, wonderful to have that feeling. Um, and then folks who are, <laughs> folks whose face, face brighten up when they contemplate love and community, those are the people who are my community wherever they're from, wherever they live, whatever they look like, whatever their life looks like, people who are ready to have their hearts cracked open. That's my community. Well, I want to say to you both, when I've ever been around you, you are both beautiful um, and just loving and just um, open-armed. And I know my role, as you know, is is to be one of those in this movement to push forward and, and to make sure that we're fighting for liberation. When you do that, it, people on the outside can think you're very hard. And, but on the inside, those are within our community know that it is love and you always show love. Um, and that always amazed me about both of you. 
actually. That's how much love glows and this this comes off or radiates from both of you. So that's how I start with you. What's the story of you? Mm-hmm. you know, what's your role in this movie mm-hmm. fight? Hmm. What a great question. So I um, grew up in a house where uh, my parents, I guess, when everyone was asking the question about whether or not we should go the Black Power route or the Civil Rights route, for my parents, the answer was both and neither. The answer is culture. And so I grew up in a house where like uh, spirituality and community and politics and all those things that we always are all talking about is separate things in my house. They were one thing. And my parents and their friends were very intentional about um, establishing a set of core values, establishing a set of cultural practices and expressions. That's why my name is Anasa. My sister's name is Nandi and all the God brothers and sisters have West African names because our parents decided that our salvation was going to be in a liberatory cultural practice and um, good or bad, like whether it worked or not, whether it was always perfect, perfect or not, it created me into a space where I was told that I was worthy and beautiful because I was black, because of my ancestry, because I was going to grow up to be a woman and I was a girl at the time. Like I have always been um, affirmed in my divinity, in my worthiness, in my ability. So my mother used to tell me like legit, she used to be like, you can do anything you want. And I would be like, yes, I sure, yes. And I still believe her, right? And so I believe that that is my role in the movement is to be able to bring a conversation about culture, an expanded one, um, because many people are collapsing conversations about art, culture, creativity, and narrative, and they are so vastly different and have such vastly different roles in community. So one, I think my, my role has become to really carry the water of culture and to help people understand how to interact with it and what all those other things mean. And I think the other part of me is to, is to bring love and to help people. Like my number one goal in life is to make sure that everybody feels like love, like for real, for not like compliments and whatever, but like actually like you understand your value and your place on this planet as a human being. And that you came with it the second that you were conceived, born, gave your first breath, whatever it is, like no matter what you are loved and held and honored. Um, and that is, has become really important. I think that that's, that's the thing that people respond to most about me. It's just like, so many people are just like, can you just hug me? And I'm like, absolutely. Cause that's my job. I'm like, I'm here to be a hug, to be a warm hug for the movement at all times. Well, I, I can say I've, 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 I've received some of those amazing hugs. And if you're, and if you're <laughs> listening right now, you gotta find an eye to find, get, get you one of those, get you one of those hugs it's as well. True. I will gladly give it, gladly give it. No, effects on all that. And, and, and even, I, I guess that, that goes to you because you understand clearly that movement building is a love story. And you understand that, that in any love story, it's something where you have to work upon. So what's your role in this love story called movement? Well, I'm really, there's so much about what you shared, Anasa, about your story that I'm 
resonating so deeply with. And, and a part that I'll speak to is when you talk about love um, and Rev, you, you, this theme around love. So Ife means love. And um, when I was much, much younger, I was um, trying to find my way. I mean, it, it's, I think in some ways I'm still figuring out pieces or defining, I should say, elements of my way. But, um, but there was so much anger and, that I held in my body and I needed to, so I was, I was given a different name uh, when I was born and had for uh, my early childhood and my teens, but I wanted to come into um, a name that reflected that was aspirational, something that I wanted to lean into, to live into in my life. I wanted to transform the parts of me that were so uh, angry and that were really rooted in um, so many feelings of, of, um, of sadness and hardship and trauma and anger and all of that. And, and, and by the naming myself, by taking this name, uh, which of Ife, which means love in Yoruba, I um, put myself in a situation where not only was I challenging myself to and calling on myself to embody this principle and this practice and this way of being in the world, um, but also everybody who called my name would be putting, giving me that blessing as well. <laughs> mm. And so uh, on reflection, you know, sometimes we do things because we're led to do them and we may have an understanding in that moment, but then life shows us these layers of understanding. And I feel like, like over the years I've come to appreciate that. Um, and in my own transformation, that choosing to uh, call myself Ife and asking other people to call me that has kind of brought me into this place where I'm able to then be in the world and and sh show up in relationship with others in ways that they can feel that uh, also with me and um, and from me. Um, that said, I'm also you know a warrior too. So, you know, I'd be fighting Facts. with love, Facts. but principled, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But I, I feel like that that's a big thing is bringing that, um, that energy of, of love. Cause I love our people. I love the, the value of our lives as humans. I love the value of life of these tree beings that I'm in community with and, and others in nature. And I'm, wanting to, and I see as my role um, within this movement as kind of embodying that and sending that out, you know, <laughs> expansively. Um, and then the uh, another part of that too is supporting and facilitating healing processes. So that looks that looks very different. It looks um, like a lot of different things according to the circumstances. Um, and healing for me, facilitating healing can range from um, kind of bringing a loving presence into a space or sending Reiki energy into an area, um, hugging someone, give, affirming um, all the way to, you know, 
moving into some herbal <laughs> medicine, some hands-on work or some spiritual work in other ways, or simply creating spaces within organizations or um, uh, the institutions that I'm a part of or have been a part of where we're able to hear each other, to listen, to um, recognize one another's humanity, to celebrate someone's birthday, you know, letting people know that we, we appreciate, we value you. So I, I feel like all of this is part of that role of, of facilitating healing and of bringing love into a space and into, into a movement and into a world where sometimes, um, we, because of what we're facing, we forget that we are sentient feeling beings that, have stuff that comes up and we need love and touch and connection. Um, you know, sometimes we forget that in the face of the trauma and the hardship and the fights, the battles that we're in on a daily basis. So um, my that's my aspiration and my hope. Some people tell me that they see that in me and then that lets me know that I'm fulfilling this role. And and I'm also on, in an ongoing way open to receive it, to hearing when I'm not showing up in that way so that I can reflect on that. I can, I can look at that and I can, um, and I can do different. I can grow, you know? Yeah. No, that's, that's beautiful. And I guess as you both were talking, I was reflecting on how, how you both mentioned with your names, right? And, and Anasa was talking about her, her name was given to her and what that meant, um, what that was steeped in. You know, Ife, you were talking about how you chose and what that and how that being embodied, which you have become. And then for me, you know, my name was part of the movement. You know, Rev was a, a code when I was, um, and we were in the office in the early days of the, of the Hip Hop Caucus. Um, and the, unfortunately, this country decided that I was to be labeled a, a threat to national security and was going through so much. Anybody who called the office that they said Lennox, uh, uh, which is my, my name, but and then they called the office, we knew that they were enemy. And if they didn't say Rev, if it was a code, we knew that they were friends. So Rev literally became nothing connected to Reverend or Revolt. Or heavy. This really was a code for freedom. And so I think about the power of names. So I want to get, we're going to get to this conversation about can repair within this movement. But I want to think, what you to, both of you to meditate. Neither one you can answer. But we, the name of the general movement sometimes is environmental justice. And, and what that means. Like it's, it's important to have justice, but also what that struggle around justice means. And, I'm grateful for people like Destiny and folks you work with who would bring in environmental liberation, but there isn't environmental healing. There isn't that term. There isn't environmental love. Um, how important is it that we sometimes in our own movement code in the harm with how we define ourselves? I have a lot to say about that. <laughs> um, yeah, so I I mean obviously language is very important. Right? It is um the first step to 
to manifesting and creating is how you call something. That's why names are so important because what you call something gives it something to live into, especially when you do it with intention. And (laughs) one of the controversial things about me is that I don't actually um, enjoy or use a justice framework in any of this work that we do. You'll never hear me talk about racial justice, environmental justice, gender. I just don't use the language. It doesn't resonate with me. Um, I am so excited and so grateful for the people who do that work, who do frontline work, who are protecting us, because a lot of us would literally not be alive if it were not for people who are doing that frontline work. And also my focus and my vision for my own work has always been about... While you all are over there stopping that thing, and thank you so much, I'm going to be over here building the thing that we're going to be able to step into once we get free. And um, it's hard because it's like long-term, 100-year work, but it and it must be visionary because we have to be able to think about like what we actually want to do, who we actually want to be, how we want to interact with the planet in a different world. And most recently, we've really been thinking about like this concept of beloved community and what that means and um, whether whether or not it's language we want to like stand on. And the conversations that we're having is like, well, beloved, what, what does that even really mean if we're working to build a beloved community? And what we've gotten on my team is that for us, beloved community is where um, everyone in, in your community gets to experience a baseline of safety, um, joy, abundance, and love, right? It doesn't mean everything is amazing all the time. It doesn't mean that nothing goes wrong, but it means like at, at your very core, you know that you're safe, you know that you're loved, you know that you can experience your own own abundance and you have a sense of joy. And um, this sense, this sense, like, must include both your individual self, your community and the planet, right? Because if we don't, if our planet is not well, right, then we, there's impossible for us to be well. It's, we're all part of one one beautiful ecosystem and it's important for us to be able to actually like have language that projects healing, projects wholeness, projects abundance, projects, because otherwise like how are we going to achieve it, work towards it, understand how to get there if all, um, if we're not conjuring that language up in our own mouth, right, in our own spaces, if we're not doing that work, I'm not sure that we can get there because we are powerful people. The thing we put our focus on is the thing that we get. So yes, even if every fossil fuel, whatever, never did another thing, we still have to think about what, what do we want? How do we interact? How do we heal? How do we um, sustain? Those are things that we need to be thinking about. And for me, Um, language is the beginning of that. So you'll hear me talk a lot about love and abundance and culture and core values and all that. You won't hear me talk about policy or, (laughs) or justice or, and again, those things are vitally important, but number one, that's not my contribution. And number two, those things must be aimed towards wholeness and healing and imagination in my mind. Ife? It's you've given a lot to. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. 
you no, know. it's it's real, and I I so appreciate. There's a lot of focus on dismantling, and we have to, you know, once once something is dismantled, what then fills its place? And so this work, the the simultaneous work, is necessary, and we need people doing all the things. And to the extent that we're clear about what our contribution is, then we can lean in on those things. And it doesn't have to be all the things, <laughs> but like, what is that, what is it, what is that um, work that we're called to do and, and to do that? So I'm, I really, really appreciate that, what you said and how you've chosen to lean into your work. It's so beautiful. When I think about environmental justice, I think what I appreciate about, or, or, I do use the language. Um, I think that it, for me, I, I, it, it, current use connects to connects current practice to a history or within a historical flow. That I think um, there's some value to you know remembering that we are part of a, a historical flow, and there is a lot that has taken place. Uh, before that has that took place before us, and there's a lot that is still left to do, and and will continue beyond us. Um, but I think the extent of of use is around that, and and recognizing that there are are so many people whose lives are on the line because of what are defined um, as environmental injustices. So there's active violence against. Uh, folks on the, on the front lines of the climate crisis on in, in environmental issues and in other places um, and who for whom environmental justice fights are very real and present and alive and that said the um, i I also see when I think about what my contribution is and where folks with whom I work around some of this healing is, is supporting folks who are on the front lines to do some reparative work while they're in that work to cultivate the tools and to remember actually, because there are a lot of folks who, who have memory, who have memories of things that have been taught to them from their elders, from their grandparents, from others, um, uh, even beyond their lifetime, people who they've never have met, but have somehow uh, come in contact with or learned about some of the these old ways and practices. Um, and we're helping them to remember that you have this knowledge within you to um, to heal yourself within these moments, to pull away when you need, to uh, create necessary boundaries to, to block negative people and trauma <laughs> from from recurring, you know, in the face of these very difficult situations and fights. And so like, we'll, we work, um, with the wind and the warrior directly with folks who, who are on the front line and, um, and support them again in cultivating these tools for themselves or remembering these tools. Um, and so that's where I think my, my work has been and, and what I'm able to do given my, nature, my experiences, my training and my path in life. Um, and sort of what I see as my larger 
purpose in life. Um, so again, I guess in some, I've, if there's some value for me in that and in continuing to use this language as it connects us to history, as it recognizes current realities and, and, and I'm in spaces where, um, where we're trying to really, to help people to have the internal capacity, strength, fortitude to continue forward in those fights without keeling over, without burning themselves out, without mm. walking away, you know, because of, uh, for a variety of reasons, you know, so, yeah. Aoife, I, I want to come back to you then. Uh, Anash, I want you to follow up with your response, you know, in this arc. In episode six, it was it was titled "Recovering Identity." Young people spoke about losing themselves in this work, or the impact of this work hindering them from discovering and evolving into themselves. You two are grounded in yourselves, your values, and your community. Your sense of self, destiny, and purpose is your foundation. So aside from language, do you have any particular modalities, processes, or advice for people on a journey of finding or remembering themselves and purpose in this work? Yes. <laughs> I mean, I, I want to start by just saying, like, as much work as I have done on my own um, spiritual, emotional health, I struggle in the same ways. Like I, it would be hypocritical for me to sit here and, and not say, sometimes my work consumes me. Sometimes I forget I'm a human being with a whole human body and a whole light life. Sometimes I um, only see the tasks in front of me or the vision in front of me or the campaign in front of me. And there are moments of, um, of uh, what's that word? Um, codependency with my work, right? I, moments where I find my identity in the thing I'm doing. And the things that bring me back are spiritual practice, creative practice, nature, my friends and family, and, and like having a, all the things that make us human, Right. It's, it's so easy um, because there's so much to do, because mm -hmm. there is so much to dismantle and so much to build. It can feel like um, like we are removed from time, like we are just pulled out of the timeline. And all we can see is the pain and the danger and the injustice and, uh, um, and all that needs to be repaid and restored. It's really, really easy to only see that. And that's one of the reasons why community is so important. Because when I am going too far or too hard, it's often not me who pulls me back. It's my sister who calls me and says, I haven't talked to you. What are you doing? Or it's my, one of my artist friends who calls me and say, like, um, you look real crazy today. You need to go to sleep. <laughs> right? Or, or somebody on my team who says, like, I will do that for you. I would like you to take the day off, you know? And there is nothing more powerful than community, right? It's important to have those tools. Like, yes, I'm going to write every morning. Yes, I'm going to pray every morning. Yes, I want to go for a walk. But the thing that keeps me safe 
is the people who love me and who I actually allow to love me because there have also been times where people have tried to love me and I have pushed them away. Mm. Like, I hear you. I need to get this done. That's cute. I'm going to get on this plane, right? And so the practice of loving and more importantly, being loved is a thing that brings me back every time. Mm. Ife? I um, have, well, so I actually recently released a book on remembering purpose and where, where, where I bring out, or, or I talk about there, I use examples in my life where um, just kind of talking about the um, pivotal moments where I've learned something um, that, or received a message or had it, or had an experience that kind of shaped my um, thinking a lot. And when I look back on it, I see that it was, it's along this trajectory, this direction in life that's helping me to remember why I'm here and to remember that I'm so much more than what society and even sometimes family and schooling or other places try to define me or fit me within these narrow definitions. So this question of losing self in work, even in movement spaces, there's this constant um, way that we have to interrogate the impact of capital or colonial capitalism on us and the ways that we're, um, you know, kind of set up to be divided internally, divided and separated from ancestral memory and connection, um, divided and separated from other people with whom we could or might naturally connect um, if we're not constantly drawn into these, you know, intense hours of work or these endless meetings um, of sitting where our bodies lock up and muscles become adapted to, um, you know, sitting in in the way that our bodies sit (laughs) such that we lose our mobility over time if we do it too much and our health deteriorates and, you know, all of the stress and so forth. And I, I think that, you know, in, in, I'm at an age where, and I guess at each stage of my life, I've always kind of looked back and reflected, but um, right now I'm at this age in this book where I've been reflecting on different moments and it's just like, okay, yeah, in my twenties, when I look back, I spent so much time, you know, trying to do this, trying to prove myself in this way and, and, and do this. And when I look back on it, it's like, none of that even mattered. I worked so hard to try to get a job somewhere, but I never got a job by submitting an application in my adult life. It was through cultivating connection and relationships with people that led to these things. I, um, you know, whenever there's a problem that came up, I never solved that on my own, even if I was the only one who ultimately had to face it. Mm. <laughs> it was learning from what others have done. It was connect talking with others uh, about the situation at hand. So there was a way that community and people um, with whom I was in relationship helped me to sort things out. Again, even if I was the one who 
ultimately had to, well, I was the one who ultimately had to make a decision and kind of live with, with whatever the fallout or the situation was, you know? So anyway, all that to say that I think this question of when young people say, and people of all ages, like I'm losing myself in this space. It's like, why do you feel you have to die for movement Mm -hmm. and for what you're fighting for? Can we live for what we're fighting for? And can we be healthy while we're fighting and while we're um, experiencing joy with one another? Um, These struggles are historic and cross generation. So the things that we'd like to, and maybe we're driven to solve in this lifetime, take multiple lifetimes. Sometimes this this systemic work is a, a, this is a multi-lifetime project. You know, these folks, these white folks, when they were planning out these systems, they're planning for hundreds of years ahead of time and trying to ensure that their people are going to be in, in rule and leadership uh, down the line. And so I think that if we were to think about our, think about these movements and social change as um, things that are going to require a little bit longer, then maybe we can give ourselves the opportunity to breathe a bit and to, te- to, to teach through our practice others to also breathe and bring their light. And, and then that then continues to to spread and to build out where we might be able to live longer and be healthier and more clear about why it's important for our lives to be valued in this work, not because other people are telling us that our life is important, but because we are declaring it through our actions that our lives are important, our relationships are important, we don't want to die for this, but we want to live for this. We want to live for generations um, and we want to pass along the, these practices um, to, to generations to come after us so that they can continue the work and be filled by our commitment to life. Um, it, it, that could in some ways sound a bit Pollyannish, but mm-hmm. I, I, I believe that the, um, that, you know, there's something that hope does, embodied hope and, and healing. Um, it, it does to lift the weight of, of heaviness that depresses us and that sometimes um, narrows our, our focus such that we are not able to conceive of um, the fact that we don't have to do the, be in these fights by ourselves that there are many others who've yet to be born who will pick these things up. There are many across these movement ecosystems who are doing their part. And, um, and, that, and, and I, guess, I think moving with that knowing and that trust in us, um, it, can, it can breathe a little bit more, it can help us breathe a little bit more spaciously and be in this work a, a little bit more spaciously. So my, I don't know. My, I hope my. that kind of makes sense because no, I'm kind no, of you know really sitting with that. You know, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, some if as you're talking, it's it reminds me of um, Mama D. Mama D was an amazing woman in New Orleans. Um, Diane French Cole, um, we all called her Mama D. Lived in on Dergeon Street in Seventh Ward, and um, was very instrumental 
and fighting for our people. Was the first um, woman to lead the NWCP in New Orleans, but so much more than that, and did so much um, um, post Katrina. One thing she told me, I was in a meeting. We were in a, we, we were in a, we were in a meeting. We were in like in a we were just in her living room, <laughs> and it was a living room was a place of just great conversations um, and this and this where people could reflect. And one thing she said, she was talking to somebody in a meeting in the conversation was talking about how they were doing a resume. I never forget, Mama D says, resumes ain't nothing but a noose. She says, the more you write, the longer your noose gets. And I never forgot that. And I just remember thinking that, man, and and Mama D is right. And I was just thinking that she was just saying that because when you're doing these resumes or LinkedIn, if you feel so compelled, it 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 doesn't free you. When you mentioned here, Ife, how every job you got was through relationship. That's exactly what she was referring to. The fact that we as particularly as as Africans, as as black people in particular that we should be in such relations that we should see the talent, the the gifts from the Almighty, that we should be looking to say, we need your gift for this. We need your talent for this. Fill this void. We need you. Continue to do what you're doing. Let Let us go into our storehouse and give you the resources to do. And that's not there because we've taken on this kind of, and we're going to these schools and, Listen, I, 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 I listen. I love the schools that I went to. Got got degrees. Everybody's got degrees. But I'm gonna say this: people, people are doing that, and it's and it's literally they're doing it just as she said, creating the news, the resume is that that news of of this only being centered on you, your achievement, your accomplishment, what I've done, and how I can do it, and not this community of 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 love. And so, as I'm listening to you and to both of you. You're clearly both talented and adept in the wisdom of healing modalities and everyday work, whether in organizations or farms or land development and strategy. I guess, how do you keep your healing together? Meaning, how do you not yourself get burned out? How do you, when you're strong, not get pulled on too much? How do you, Anasa, get your hugs? Who hugs you? Who loves you, Aoife? How do you ensure <laughs> that you are being poured into? Mama would always say, you can't, pour, uh, you can't pour nothing from an empty cup. How do you ensure that you have what you need so that you can then pour into others and not get trapped into this world of, like Mama D said, that noose of just trying to do it so that we're no longer. Yeah, I can I can say for myself that it is a newer practice for me to do that, to make sure that my cup is full and to make sure I get hugs too. And um, honestly, I went through a big transformation during the shutdown. Because, you know, when you have to sit still for um, six months in your house by yourself, you have a lot of time to think. <laughs> You're like, wait a minute. 
something don't feel good about this way. I was in this series of conversations with a bunch of other women. And one day I just had a revelation and I said, oh my God, all this time we've been acting as if in order to make the world different, we have to build organizations. But the truth is in order to make the world different, we need to build community. Mm -hmm. And it started a really deep inquiry for me about what that even meant as somebody who is normally standing out front, normally the one giving the hugs, normally the one giving the direction, normally the one um, not not in a receiving um, stance. And it, it was a huge work for me to understand that being in community also meant receiving and that being a person in a group of people who is always, always, always giving is not being in community. And, um, honestly, like being able to do my own emotional healing around my own codependence and around my family stuff and around just being someone who is thinking about my own mental, emotional and spiritual health for once and not thinking about what my position had to do with supporting anybody else was the thing that I had to do to get to the point where I can be like, Oh yes. Now I Um, not just accept, but seek out and ask for the hug when I need it. And sometimes even when I don't, I now understand that I don't pour from my cup. I pour from my saucer. Whatever is in the saucer, you are welcome to have, but you're not getting none from this cup. This is mine. You got your own cup. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And you you are responsible for filling your cup. I'm not actually responsible for for, for filling your cup. That's your job. And that is, those are things that I did not understand because of my own, you know, trauma in life and, you know, and the thing that we all have. And so um, it is like, it's been really fun actually to discover the parts of me that I had been hiding or putting away or not paying attention to because I was too busy paying attention to other people. And it's actually made my work a lot more robust. It's really um, superpowered my imagination, my ideas and my energy and my creativity um, is like on 10,000 now that I um, am focused on my own well-being and being full and, and, and receiving love and being honest and transparent when it's important for me to do that and not for other people's comfort. Like that thing around being honest, woo, that is the most healing thing I've ever done is learn how to tell the truth, especially when it's hard and to maybe look at you in your eyes and hold your hand and tell you what you did that I did not like or what you did that I feel like you need to, you need to get it together. Like that is the most powerful healing balm I have ever experienced is truth. Mm-hmm. Ifa, I want you to, and it add. starts with being true to, to, true to myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, 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 and and that's such an important piece, that truth piece. And I actually want Eve. I want you to speak to to that. I also want you to speak to how you, um, you know, ensure that you're being poured into. I also want to add one more thing for you to, because I I think it's important to know that we have begun a set of discussions around this climate critical's recent movement survey and report on burnout in the climate and and Mm. environmental movement. And the report spoke to the deep pain, the deep, deep, deep pain 
underlining climate campaigns, mobilizations, and program work. And I want you to add to your answer just to talk about to us about your own experience with members of the movements struggling with pain, anxiety, or more. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, goodness. Well, I'll say in short, one, I, I so appreciate what you said, Anasa, about the um, sharing the saucer, <laughs> but not what's in the cup. Um, that's so important because why... Why do we have to do that? Or why do we think that that's okay? You know, that's that, that's this, um, this project, colonial capitalist project, which keeps us like feeling like we're not, unless we're serving, unless we're splayed out, (laughs) being walked all over, working 25 hours a day, you know, that we're somehow less than, and, um, no, that, so for me, I'm like constantly dismantling that because I had, that real bad in my life. And, um, and it's been a journey for me to figure out sometimes mentally, but just sometimes in practice and in my, in my body, like, what is it, what does filling my cup mean? Um, and I do that better at sometimes than others. Um, and for the last couple of years, I've gotten better and more consistent with my mm. practice of, of filling. And for me, it looks like it's, it's in my spiritual practice. It's, it's my being a relationship with my ancestors. It's my uh, taking spiritual bath. It's eating healthy. It's making sure I'm exercising. It's growing food. And I have chickens and guinea fowl. So it's being in relationship with these non-human beings and, and the trees that I mentioned earlier that um, that fills my cup when I'm able to see green, the green of the trees. It just makes me, it really nourishes me to, um, to be in those spaces. And then, you know, around the question of what we've seen or what I've, I've seen and, um, and, you know, this question around burnout, there are so many folks who, are stressed for reasons that that we mention you know it, this climate crisis can it, it it can feel so overwhelming what all needs to be done um i was talking with someone i, I just came back from an agroecology summit i was talking with someone who is a who teaches people who are about 18 and college students and she was telling me that when she just reads the science, I mean, it's just the, the, the things that scientists are saying, the anxiety exponentially increases mm. within the context of just rattling off science, you know? So people are feeling this sense of overwhelm and the, this doom. Um, and I'm not going to say that the, re, the science doesn't point to some really challenging times in the moment, you know, in the future. And even now in many places, there are whole nations that are going underwater and, and parts of this world. Um, and at the same time, I think that there are ways to, that we can break off the parts that are within our ashe are within our, our, you know, capacity and our, our, sacred purpose that we can do. That's sort of our lane, you know, not exclusive to emergence, 
but rather because, you know, things can come up. We are in charge of our, uh, yeah, our, our ship, our, you know, eco-friendly solar powered ship. <laughs> and we can, um, we can choose and, and define our, our, our purpose and decide where we want to go and, and what kind of springs uh, out of our experiences. And we don't have to solve all the problems, but we can work on the, the things that we can work on that we have that are consistent with who we are and what we're drawn to and what's really important, um, where we can put our energy and our time and our focus and so I, I think that sometimes though, when we're in these spaces and in these places where there's the, the, the burnout, the stress, you know, what's being asked of us and what we're being presented with are these, you know, we've got to do it all. We have to have all the answers yesterday and we have to have, you know, be solving them or else we're personally insufficient. Like something's wrong with us if we're not you know, if we haven't solved it at this time. And that's, that takes a combination that, that takes work on multiple levels. It takes our own work, like, by constantly releasing that, you know, I need to let go of this mindset that has me, you know, criticizing myself because I, I just don't have the energy to work 20 hours, you know, that has me coming down hard on myself when I don't meet, meet this uh, deadline because there are all of these other expectations. Um, like we've got, it, there's a constant purging and release that needs to happen. That's intentional. Like we've got to be talking like affirmations until we build that muscle to like, you know, like, like Wonder Woman be like blocking that stuff when it comes. And then also at other levels, you know, really working together through the, the community and these relationships that Anasa um, talked about where we're reminding each other to let that shit go. Oh, I'm sorry. To let that stuff go and to create. You can say a few words in there. I can say that. I can say shit. Okay. Let that shit go. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And pour (laughs) into ourselves and give ourselves permission to laugh and to breathe and to experience joy and pleasure and to um, uh, spend time, let your hair down, be creative in the ways that you create. And, and it's a muscle to build. Like we have to really remind ourselves sometimes like me until my practice became more consistent. I had to like schedule that in like, (laughs) creative at such and such a time, you know, because I'm working against a a way of being for so long. That's been so inside of me for so long that, you know, I had to like schedule it (laughs) and then it kind of, you know, took on its form. But so that's what I'll say about that. There's, you know, um, and there's so much salve, there's so much healing that comes in the creation and laughter and joy. And we really, it's so important to build that in where I'm working now. I'm with Soul Fire Farm. um, And we are very intentional about about building play in our, our staff retreats. It's so important for our relationships and the relationships sustain us through most difficult times in our work. The, um, um, there are so many, there are other ways that we build into our systems and our structures, 
play and joy and relationship building and working through courageous conversations and things like that. Um, but I think it helps to provide this necessary re- reminder that we're so much more than these jobs that we hold, even as those jobs may be really important within this broader work. So I just have a couple more questions. This time always goes so fast here on The Coolest Show, and there's so much to get to. Before I get to get to my question, um, is what you kind of, Ife, kind of started. I want to make sure that people know what you're currently working on, because you mentioned the book. I want to make sure that gets into the conversation. So, Ife, what other things you want to make sure get out there to the people that you're currently working on? So that's a, that's a big thing, releasing, remembering purpose. Um, uh, and so it's, it's spelled re hyphen membering because our, our purpose is something, you know, it's this ongoing process of remembering what we came into this world with and for, um, while we also create it and define it in the, in the course of our lives. So that's a big thing. Um, Soul Fire Farm Institute. I serve as one of the co-directors there. Such beautiful work that the team is doing. We're in the midst of our growing season and our program season. Um, So preparing to have folks come on the land and deepen their knowledge and share um, knowledge and experiences about being in relationship to the land, growing food, dismantling racism within the food system and, and creating um, the necessary uh, solutions and alternative alternative systems. Um, and then with uh, the Win and the Warrior, we're continuing our work together to create spaces for folks on the front lines of, of justice fights to remember and to develop skills for, for healing, for ancestral connection, and, and how to bring that into their works so that they can sustain it, you know, the work with their communities, with their organizations. Um, so those are just a, a few things that, and, and then of course, for me, that's really important and tied to my own well-being is growing food, growing plant medicines here on the land that I live, being in relationship to the, um, tree community that sits behind me and just kind of listening to and, and receiving guidance from the, the land about how to be in right relationship with the earth and with these chickens and with these guinea fowl and with the dog and like all of these beings that are around here. <laughs> so that's such an important part of me and my work as well. Um, it's learning how to be a better relative, you know, with all the limitations that I have as a human, you know? Um, so yeah, those are a few things I'd love to hear. Anasa, you, every time we talk, um, uh, well, in the times that we've talked, I always learn a little bit more about what you're doing. What, what more, (laughs) what else, what all? (laughs) Yeah. What all are you doing? (laughs) Troutman? That's a great question. (laughs) Well, today, so, um, I um, have built this thing called the Big Wee Ecosystem. I've been a producer for my whole adult life. I started off actually in the music industry. And so I've been building this ecosystem of organizations around this idea that culture 
is the key that will unlock the portal and the way for us to activate that culture is through storytelling. And so I have a production company called The Big We, and I have a foundation called The Big We Foundation, where we really are working with girls and women, working around environmental stuff, and we're doing this restorative economics work around a majority Black um, towns and cities in the South, primarily in Memphis, my boo, Memphis. Um, and we are stewards of this beautiful, amazing, historic building called Historic Claiborne Temple, which was a site of the 1968 sanitation worker strike, which was for folks who don't know the campaign that brought King to Memphis when he was assassinated. And so being able to restore that space, reopen it as um, a cultural arts center and center for restorative economics, again, because this idea of working for us at the intersection of culture and the economy has become very activated thinking about like where's the little the one place that we can that we can go and support that will unlock everything which is like we need to shift the culture of the economy people need to understand their relationship to abundance in a different way every single system that we are in is mired by this idea that the goal is to make the most money save the most money spend the most money and there's no conversation about humanity and so for us thinking about environmental work and economics and public safety and every single thing that all of us work on is really about shifting this idea that money is more important than people because it ain't because mm. <laughs> no, it, it ain't. So because um, it, <laughs> it ain't. And um, on a personal note, really um, continuing to cultivate my courage around my own creativity and imagination. I am like, very courageous in many instances. And then there's like my writing and this book I want to put out, actually the three books I want to put in the movie mm-hmm. I'm writing and the TV show pilot that I just finished. And, you know, I spent most of my early career supporting other artists because I was just afraid to be one and maturing, maturing myself and my emotional um, body enough to say like, actually I am creative around strategy and fundraising, but I'm, also a fantastic storyteller. Don't you want to see? And that that's a big part of my journey right now is just like unlocking those parts of me that I have been um, afraid to show to other people because they're beautiful too. Wow. Well, first I want to thank you both. I have one last question here. It's, it's, a, it's a doozy. I'm let y'all go. It's it's all, it's, mm. it's, it's it's yeah. It's it's good. It's, um, I'm actually prepping it now. Was I'm getting ready? So y'all can feel. Y'all should know it's coming, old Ram. I can't wait. Old Ram, you know what right. Yeah, it's it's. It, but I want to say, kind of on when you said Anasa on Memphis. You know, I, I yes. For me, I mean, a lot of our parents obviously sit with Memphis from the place where. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. Um, For me and many folks in our generation, the trauma comes from sitting in a place where it could be from Tyree Nichols, who was killed by the police, to young Dolph, who was killed by his people from his community, to a place where... Ja Morant, who's the leading basketball player in Memphis, needed people to come look on him because they were afraid he might be committing suicide. That's a place where there's so much opportunity, but still so much need of care and repair in the 21st century. That's where we sit. 
But I want to bring this question Wild, to you. It? I want to bring this question. That almost, I want to use that and I bring this question to you. This is where we sit. Um, I have to tell you that this was a fabulous conversation. And I wish time would just allow us to have so much more time. And I know there are many folks who are listening and they're in this movement. And I have to tell you both that I have been, people have come who have wanted to, have been so hurt. They've been hurt to the point where they don't know they could be healed. They don't know they could be healed. They don't know that's possible. And that is why, particularly for young people, younger, I would just say. And so it's something when you're a young person, you're, you, you, you haven't gotten out your 20s in some cases, you're still in your teens, and you don't think you can, you, you feel you're so broken by something you were a part of, you can't be healed. That's a, that's a, that's a place to be. But you feel so broken that you can't be healed. And that is why healing is so important. So we've been taught to fill voids and spaces and roles. Not everyone knows their ecosystem role and how they can best stay true to themselves and be in community interdependently. And not to mention not knowing themselves. As we talked about in episode seven, Peggy Shepard touched on the importance of mentorship. So how can we heal? How can we really heal intergenerationally so that our elders can pass on their knowledge and wisdom without continuing cycles of harm? Yeah. I mean, to me, it's, um, <laughs> it's not that difficult but it's the hardest thing some, for some people, which is, it's about connection, actual human connection, which starts with listening and humility. And um, <laughs> questions and curiosity, you know, because people who don't believe that their own healing is possible have not been listened to and or have not yet learned how to listen to others because our salvation is in each other. It's, it's really all we have, but it's also all we need. We are human beings. We're built, born, designed to be together, to be in community. We did not come here to be alone and this, the times where we decide, perceive, behave, project aloneness are the places where our deepest brokenness can emerge. The reminder, like the, a constant reminder that you are not alone, even when it absolutely feels like you are and you can't see anything else. And you can just hold on to the like smallest little baby thread of the possibility that you're not by yourself is always for me the first step towards healing and possibility and, and growth and hope. 
At the Kilimanjaro, how can we heal intergenerationally so that our elders can pass on their knowledge and wisdom without continuing cycles of harm? Thank you. Anasa said it. When, when you said connection, you know, the, the, the word that came to my mind was relationship. And you said connection. And I feel like your articulation of that, of the response is precisely is right on. I'm, I'm, so what she said, <laughs> what Anasa said. <laughs> and then the only thing that I'll add when is intergenerationally and across generation, I think about, um, so people, I've been asked, well, how do I establish relationship with ancestors? Because there's a, a way too that um, as we are not alone in this world and connection is so important, relationship, the just starting very basic with um, connecting with another person or more is, is that critical step for toward healing. Um, and, but I, and I'm asked, well, how do I connect with ancestors too? Because sometimes it's connecting with people who have come before that, that nur- that's nourishing or that can be nourishing to the soul for many. And, and the response is the same. It's relationship. How, what, how do you meet someone? What do you do when you're getting to know someone? It's um, creating space to get to know each other. Hello. My name is, and who are you? And listening. So I don't have anything fundamentally to add. I just want to, I wanted to also bring in, I mean, if we're talking about a cross generation, um, there's so much healing that's needed too with our, our ancestors or in relationship with, with our ancestors that this is also an opportunity for us to make connections with those who came before us and help to heal um, those relationships by getting to know one another by, um, and, and in doing that, it's the simultaneous process of facilitating healing among our descendants and those within our families who come after us. Um, if more explanation is needed, I'm happy, but I, I, I think relationship connection is like the fundamental starting point. Well. Anasa and Ife, I want to thank you both for um, pouring out. I, I think this conversation, I have to be honest, I think I took from your cup and that's your saucer. <laughs> and, and, and I want to thank you for allowing me. Thank you so much for allowing me to dip into your cup and to give. Because what you have given, I'm sure for those listening, is such beauty and healing, and power. And I know it does not come without a cost. And thank you for being such strong, powerful Black people who are willing to give so that the next generation and the now generation can push on for our liberation. So thank you so much for not thinking it robbery in this occasion. Thank you. Out. Thank you. And those thank are our you, guests Vanessa. today. They are... Master Troutman. Thank you. And Dr. I'm so happy to see your face.
Me too. Aoife, Kilimanjaro. Yeah, not trying to to sound you out. Really. Yeah, we're like, yeah, so we're trying to talk to them, which we love each other. No, no, no. I, I, don't, I don't. Listen, the, 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 the outro can wait. You know what I mean? I, I'm, I'm all about because I know, I know what I know that was was so, and I don't want to stop the, I don't want to even stop the ancestors who have also joined the conversation. Mm-hmm. And who have been yeah. a part of this too. So I thank you both for I being. I would love to thank you for that, Ife. Yeah. Thank you for continually bringing the ancestors back into the room. Yeah. I really, really appreciate that. And I also want to tell you, Reb, that like the real gift, the real trick, the real like je ne sais quoi is being able to give from your soft from your saucer and make it feel like it's from your cup. Mm. And with <laughs> and, and and with that. Those are our guests today. They are CEO of the Big Wee, Big Wee Foundation, and Dr. Ife Kilimanjaro, co-director and managing director of Soul Fire Farm Institute. And those are my friends. Thank you, mm-hmm. ancestors, for keeping you. us strong. And I love you too. I right. love you both very much. Mm-hmm. Keep strong. Keep fighting. Me I am Rev Yearwood, your host of the coolest show. Like what you heard on this episode? Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Follow us at Think 100 Climate and at Hip Hop Caucus on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Visit thecoolestshow.com where you can take action for climate justice right now. You can also learn more about this podcast and donate to Think 100%, which is a non-profit project. Thank you for listening and all power to the peace. It's the coolest show you know.